0: I usually get applauded before I'm done, because everybody knows they're leaving. uh, But anyway, it's good to be with you. I want you to know that Pastor Wayne texted me this morning, and just to let me know that he's praying for all of us this morning, and he wanted to make sure that I greeted you for him. So, uh, I greet you for him. I don't know where he is. I know he's in Southern California. I don't know when he plans to leave, but he's between here and there, and that type of thing. So... It's great to have a chance to share with you. If you have your Bibles with you, if you would, turn to Philippians chapter 4, and we'll be there in a little bit, but before we do, I, I, you know, this is kind of the pivot weekend of the holidays. You say, well, because uh, Sean, I mean, we already had Thanksgiving, but this is pivot weekend. Now, let me, here's the question. Now, remember, you're in church, so I got a question for you, all right? How many of you are pre-Thanksgiving Christmas people? But that I mean before Thanksgiving kicks in, you are doing Christmas decorations, you are singing the stuff, you are doing all that kind of thing. How many? Oh, now I can tell we have a godly crowd here. This is fantastic. Now, how many of you would join me in saying you are a post-Thanksgiving Christmas person? All right, that's right. So this is pivot weekend. You know, all the way up to Thanksgiving, and, but I had I got to tell you honestly, I, was, I think it was on sometime, well, Wednesday or Tuesday of this week, I was driving uh, back home from someplace, and I happened to skip on to uh, the fish. And the fish, I do know this, the fish usually plays Christmas music nonstop, but I always thought it happened after Thanksgiving. So I went on to the fish, and it was, has Christmas music, and I listened. And I got home and I had to say to my wife, Joni, I have to confess to you. She says, what? I said, I, I listened to Christmas music. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And uh, so she did. And, uh, but now on the way over here, we full bore listen to Christmas music all the way over here because this is pivot weekend. And so I want to talk this morning actually about content, uh, contentment. Uh, because, you know, when we get to this time of year, there's all kinds of stuff that bombard us. Advertisers, what to do for Christmas, what to buy for Christmas, all of that kind of stuff. And so we can get easily caught up in feeling like we don't have everything that you need. Because this is the time of year. Now I know understand that advertisers always have to try to convince us that what they have we need, even though we may not need it, but they have to convince us we need it, so we'll get it. I get that, but this time of year, it's a little bit overboard, isn't it? We hear it all the time. And I think Black Friday sales started like three weeks ago. You ever notice that? It just just started three weeks ago. And so all this stuff is going on, and it can tend to try to uh, disturb our contentment. And there are some things in our life that are barriers to contentment. And, And one of the barriers I think are contentment is what I would call destination disease, Destination disease is where we always feel like if we were someplace else doing something else, we would be much more content in our life. Instead of realizing where we are, and I know this is a deep theological truth on a Sunday morning, where we are is where we are. And we have to learn to be content in that situation. But sometimes we get caught up in this destination disease, and we lose our contentment. Then there is sometimes what I would call other person paradise, (laughs) That's when we begin to look to someone else to make us happy. It's not my job to be content and happy in my situation. It becomes someone else's job to make me feel content and happy in my situation. And if, we, if you don't do that, then it's not my fault. It is your fault. So we never take responsibility for our own, quote-unquote, happiness or contentment. And the third thing that can be a problem for that is what I simply call money madness. And that is having more. No matter how much money we have, it's not enough money. No matter how many things we have, it's not enough things. And so we're always striving for more, more, more. And what I wanted to say to you is I'm not trying to be Mr. Humbug today. Because we shop, we get gifts, we enjoy giving gifts. But the idea is to understand that around all this external stuff that we need to learn to be content. Contentment is not a circumstance nor a condition. It is a choice contentment is not a circumstance or a condition, it is a choice. John Maxwell, a writer of all many, many books and also a former pastor said this. He said, we live in one of two tents, either discontent or contentment. And then he said, which tent do you live? And in essence, that's what we're going to be chatting about this morning. Which tent do we live, which is therefore the title of what i want to share about this morning what is contentment we talk about contentment sometimes you'll hear someone talk about contentment and define it differently than complacency because they are not the same thing but what is contentment well for the purpose of what i want to share this morning i'm going to give you this definition of contentment contentment is living independent of the circumstances That's what we're going to talk about. When I talk about contentment this morning, that's what I'm referring to. Contentment is living independent of your circumstances, whatever they may be. And In Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 10 through 19, Paul talks about contentment. And he talks about contentment that provides us principles from Scripture that we can unearth and we can apply to our lives and our world Today, In the first principle of contentment that I believe Paul provides for us in this passage of Scripture is this. Contentment is learned. Contentment is a learned response. He says in verses 10 and 11 of Philippians chapter 4, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Verse 11, I am not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. This is the attitude and perspective that can be cultivated. Paul says, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. And sometimes we'll say, well, for people of faith, our faith will give us contentment. We are godly people and we're pursuing Jesus. That will give us contentment. But maybe not so. Because Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, says this. He says, our faith that are, that but he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, let me read that one more time. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Not godliness is great gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, isn't it true that some of us know, now none of you in this room, none of us, but there are some people that are just, they're they're Christians, they're just grumpy. You ever ran into a grumpy Christian? They, They just don't, they're not content. They love Jesus, but that's about it. They don't love anything else enjoy anything else. They just love Jesus, which is good, but they don't have that contentment. They, They really just kind of are frustrated with everything that goes on in their life. And so we have to understand that to have godliness is important, but it has to be seasoned with contentment. Because we can be godly people without being contented people. But our gain in our godliness is when it is with contentment. Now, In 1 Timothy, Paul tells us, begins to talk more about this in 1 Timothy as we kind of unpack this just a little bit as we stop here for a moment. But we have to understand in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, he basically is beginning to refer that connection of being godly but also being contentment primarily with possessions. If you were to follow that, we're not going to look at that. But if you were to follow down into 1 Timothy chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, he begins to talk about that. And he's referencing the connection that there is, that the connection between contentment and possessions, there is really no connection. One does not feed the other. By that I mean, we are not more content if we have more possessions, nor do more professions provide us contentment. That he begins to understand that that is so much different for us. But Paul tells us that our goal as Christians with respect to Finances with respect to to material things, that is not going to produce contentment in us. Godliness for Paul, as he understands it, as he wants you and I to understand it, is that it is the genuine Christian life. It is a faith relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's a new way of life. And we need to have the balanced view of our faith along with any kind of finances that we have. John Wesley, who uh, was an Anglican pastor, some people think that John Wesley was the founder of Wesleyanism or Methodism. He was not. John Wesley always was an Anglican pastor. He never stopped being an Anglican pastor. But some of his teachings and some of his, his insights were used to begin to start the Methodist movement in the United States. But he made this statement. He was a theologian. He was a writer. And he says this, referring to finances. He says, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Now, that's a good template, I believe, for godliness and contentment and understanding our finance. We make all we can. We save all we can. We give all we can. But contentment is something we can learn. Number two, principle or observation. Contentment is not dependent on circumstances. Contentment is not dependent on circumstances. Now, where is Paul writing this letter from? He's writing the letter to the Philippian church in Philippi, the faith community in Philippi. That's where he's writing it to, but that's not where he's writing it from. When Paul writes these words, he is actually in uh, detention, if you please, or he is is in uh, imprisonment in Rome, waiting to see what his fate is. That's where he's writing these words from. And I think it's important that we understand this because Paul is not writing this sitting in a nice, comfy writer's den or office. Paul is not writing this as a scholastic who's just musing on what contentment is from an ivory academic tower. He is writing this from prison. And in these words, he's writing to help us to understand that contentment is not dependent on circumstances. He says in verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned, there it is again, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here's what I think that we know about life. I think all of us understand this at some level. Whatever our age is, circumstances change. You ever notice that? Stuff changes. Life morphs. People age. Plans go awry. Investments failed. Everything, everything doesn't work out the way that we actually lay it out. I don't know about you, but I have many friends that after they got done with college, and what they got their degree in is not what their livelihood has been in. Their livelihood has nothing to do with their degree because what they were planning to do and what they ended up doing were not the same thing. And so Paul is saying our circumstances should not dictate our contentment because they'll change. I'm sure Paul, if he could have voted, would have voted not to be in prison. I would have if I was him. I would have voted. If we have a vote here, I'm voting no. But instead, he was there. And, and we need to understand that, that that's not what dictated his contentment. It was not his circumstances. Uh, a few weeks ago, I, had, I, I call this a privilege. I had the privilege to do the funeral for a longtime friend of mine. Some of you in this congregation know him. His name is Bill Dave. Bill Day for over 30 years was a mentor of mine. I've known him back when, frankly, I realized it when I was doing his, his, his funeral that when he and I first started meeting, he was my age, which means he was a very young man. <laughs> and over the next 30 years, when he was well into his 90s, Bill had been a mentor to me. And every time that we got together, he would, I would call it he would just drop nuggets on the ground. I don't, know if he, I don't know if he met to, but he would just say something. I would think, ooh, that is so good. And it wasn't too long ago that Joni and I were taking Bill to church with us at, at Spring Valley Church. I know many of you know what Spring Valley is, your sister congregation of, of East Parkway. And all of a sudden, in the car, we weren't, we weren't even talking about anything having to do this. All of a sudden, Bill Dave goes, some people have a woe is me attitude. And then he says, but woe. Is not me. And I thought, wow. And he was, at the time, I think he was 93. I thought, wow. I didn't know if what he said he knew he was saying, but that was awesome. He said, Woe is not me. Now, if Bill wanted to be a woe is me person, he sure could have been. You see, Bill Dave, for over 30 years of his life, was the civilian administrator at McClellan Air Force Base. He worked with politicians, he worked with generals, he worked with military personnel, he worked with all these things. If I understand the story correct, that when he was the one who oversaw the building of the commissary on McClellan Air Force Base, if I understand the story correctly, how what he did and how he did it became a template for all the commissaries at different bases. He was a very well, did very well in his profession. But now this part of his life, early into his 90s, his wife had passed away several, several years ago. He had needed help getting in and out of vehicles. He didn't have the strength he once had. He didn't have the, 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 uh, the, the energy he once had. When he once was self-reliant and he was motivated and he was such an insightful person, but now in his stage of life, he was, he was not have that opportunity to deliver these things that he had, although he was very sound of mind. And if anybody could have had a woe is me attitude at 93, it could have been Bill Dave. He could have said, look at all the things that I achieved and look at all the things going on. Now I've got a tired body and not an opportunity to do what I used to do. But he didn't have a woe is me attitude. Because I think he understood that circumstances don't dictate our contentment. We cannot always choose our circumstances, but we can Choose our contentment. We can choose our contentment in the midst of those circumstances. The third observation, the third principle. Contentment. This is important for us to understand. Contentment can be encouraged by others. Contentment can be encouraged by others. Now, Paul's primary purpose originally for writing this letter from his point in Rome was to frankly say thank you to the Philippians church for a gift that they had sent him. That was his primary reason for initiating this letter. And of course, in the midst of talking about all of that, he he threw in these other things as well. So what I'm saying is that he knew that these folks, through their gift to him, was an encouragement to him in his circumstances and helped feed, I believe, his contentment. Verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. Verse 16, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Now that I desire desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Ephaphrodites the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, all acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. See, the concern expressed by the Philippian church encouraged Paul. It helped him in his contentment. He could be content as he knew God would provide. And who does God provide through his people? I heard a wonderful little story, really not too long ago. It's a story about a rabbit that actually fell into a hole, hopped into a hole inadvertently and couldn't get out. And the story goes that a bird flew by and saw the rabbit in that condition and dropped two feathers in the hole, hoping that maybe the rabbit could fly out. Well, then along came a lion, and the lion saw the rabbit in the hole and kind of broke off one of his claws and dropped it down in the hole, hoping that maybe the rabbit could claw himself out of the hole. And then a frog came by, and the frog came down and jumped into the hole. (laughs) And the rabbit said to the frog, why did you do that? Now we're both trapped down here. And the frog said, oh, I've been here before. I know the way out. Isn't that a great story? He is simply pulling up alongside that rabbit and saying, hey, I know where you've been. And I'm here to encourage you and to help you in that. Contentment can be fueled by the fact that God will always provide for us someone. God always will provide for us something. And folks, there are times when you are the rabbit. And there are times when you are the frog. So sometimes you are in need of a frog, and sometimes you're a frog that has to help a rabbit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says this, He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. You see, one of the reasons I think that we can be content in our circumstances, regardless of what they are, if we choose to, is because we know that what we're going through, there's going to come an opportunity, and that's going to be an encouragement for somebody else. I don't know about you, but there's very few sweeter words than this when you're going through a difficult time, when someone simply says to you, I've been through this. I've been through this. Because then you realize what? You're no longer alone. Because isn't it true when you're in difficult times and you're challenging circumstances, you think you're the only one that's happening to you. And for someone else to say, no, I've been through something like this. And I can help. I can be an encouragement to you. That begins to feed our spirit and feed our contentment. And the last observation is contentment is grounded in trust. Verse 19 and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. When we talk about being content in our circumstances, what we're talking about is that we need to trust God in our present and look forward to the future. Because God has something. For us in 2nd Corinthians chapter 9 verse 8 it says this and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times having all that you need you will abound in every good work you see contentment is grounded in trust trust that we know that God knows what he is doing and he is there. Our trust is not in our circumstances, but the Christ who is in our circumstances. Now, let me just want to go back and rewind for just a moment because there's there's a verse that we skipped over in this passage. It's kind of buried right there in the middle, but it actually is the secret that Paul talks about. Because in verse 12, he says this. He says, I have learned the secret. And then in verse 14, it says, and yet it is good of you to share. What is that secret? Paul says, I, I, know, I know the secret. And you ever have someone who has a secret you wanted to know? What's the secret? What is it? And You just want somebody to tell you that. Well, the secret is, is buried right there in verse 13. It says this, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Some translations, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, what we have to understand, it wasn't his can-do. It was the fact that it was through him. Sometimes people will use this verse. Sometimes if you watch if you're, a, if you're a kind of a sporting guy like I am, you'll know some football players, faculty will put this, they have that little tape they put under their eyes for eye black, and sometimes you'll see Phil 413, and that's the verse right there. And they'll talk about Philippians 4.13, because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But sometimes in that scenario, the emphasis is more on the what I can do than it is through him who gives me strength. And the secret to all of this, the secret to contentment, the secret is to, to weathering through our circumstances, understanding that through Christ we can indeed do all things. You see, also during this time in the culture, there was a philosophy of the Stoics. And the Stoics factored all feelings and all emotions, everything out of life. It was just simply this this human will to do whatever it is that you wanted to do. That's what the Stoics felt and believed. So as Paul is writing this, he's wanting them to understand that it's not just your determination. It's not that you just set your mind to it and kick it into gear and you just gut it out and you go through it. It's not just that. The Stoics would say, I will learn contentment by a deliberate act of my own will. And Paul says, I will learn contentment because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not self-sufficiency. It's understanding that we can face anything, because in every situation we have Christ, and the person who walks with us is Jesus. And yes, it is so true that many times—and you've heard this said this one I'm sure—said heard this said before. Sometimes it's Jesus with skin on. Jesus now is dwelling in this world through His Holy Spirit. We're getting ready to go in the Advent season, which means the arrival, the advent, the coming of Jesus into our world. But Jesus now dwells in our world through his spirit. And it's as he works in us and through us that we can then be that presentation of Jesus to people who are in need of things in certain situations and circumstances in their life. Back before there was ESPN, before there was a 24-hour news cycle, it used to just be local programming. Some of you will not even know what I'm talking about. Some of you will remember when the how many of you just for fun remember when the channels actually went off? Some of you are lying. Okay, good. All right. You remember that It'd get to a certain night all of a sudden it would play the national anthem. And on your there would go. Poop and then a test pattern would come up on the TV. Some of you do have no idea what a test pattern is, but anyway, take my word for it. It happened. But before ESPN came around, all this stuff, there was a, there was a, a, a more of a not, a, not a local, but a regional pro, a television program, TBS, Turner Broadcasting Systems. And he would air the Atlanta Braves baseball games throughout the whole southeast region. That's never happened before. And so, therefore, Atlanta, the Atlanta of course, he owned the Atlanta Braves, so it was a little bit self-serving. <laughs> But he was televising them all over the place. And as a result of that, there was a player. His name was Del Murphy. And he became an icon more widespread than any other star prior to that because of this television audience that Turner was was promoting through his broadcasting system. He hit 398 home runs. He won two Most Valuable Player awards. And he was known all across at that time in the southeast. He played between 1976 and 1990. So a few years ago. So he's been out of baseball since 1990. Well, there was an interview done on him on ESPN, the magazine. He now was in his 60s. He lives in Utah. He's far away from the the, the, glit, the glamour, the stardom that he once had. He lives close to his kids and his grandkids and this interviewer, when he was all done interviewing Del Murphy about his stardom back in the day, he made this statement. This is the writer. This is the interviewer. And he said this, referring to Del Murphy. He said, I'm glad to witness the rarest thing in the world, a man content with his choices. Wow. The rarest thing in the world, a man Content with his choices. All men live in one of two tents, contentment or discontentment. In which do you live? Paul tells us that we can learn to live in contentment. So which tent do you live? And where is Christ in your life? Because as we've noted, godliness alone is insufficient for contentment. But contentment apart from Christ is also insufficient. Where are you with Christ? Have you stepped into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know Jesus and you've just not welcomed him into all of your circumstances because you feel like you need to handle those on your own? Discontentment or contentment? Which tent do you live? And where is Christ in your life? Father God, I want to thank you and praise you for the words of Paul. Because it's in these words, even today, all these years later, we can learn truth. And we can learn insight as a result of what you said through him to the Philippian church. And Lord, I would pray for all of us as we go through this Advent season. As we go through this time of celebration, Lord and receiving and buying and enjoying giving gifts and receiving gifts, that in the midst of all of that, that we would be the rarest of all people and that we would be content with our choices. So we thank you, we praise you, we give you honor, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.